0: Thank you. Wow. Here, i got to live up to that. Man. That was a joke. Just trying to break the ice a little bit with you. I understand you're from Florida, so I won't expect you to laugh at all my jokes. That was another joke. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Open your Bibles up to John chapter uh, 2. Want to look with you this evening at uh, John chapter two, the first eleven verses, and we began briefly, very briefly, looking at this uh, last evening, and uh, been here for a very short time. Uh, got here Friday, leaving tonight late, and traveling uh, up north near the Holy Land in Indiana, and uh, <laughs> we'll uh, pick up my wife, and then we're at the next church on Wednesday. But it's been a pleasure to be here with you, and I trust that you've come ready to uh, hear the word and. Uh, uh, hear, from, uh, hear from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to share with you, as I, as I just noted, uh, out of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and uh, I'm going to read that for you at this time, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit about what we talked about last night as an introduction to catch, up, catch us up all on the same page. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading, the, uh, uh, reading out of the NIV this morning, uh, and this is how it reads. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. The first of His miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed His glory, and His disciples put their faith in Him. Father, we love You this morning. And I'm excited to see You redefining what that means in my life. You're redefining all kinds of things in my life. You're redefining servanthood I know that I've been called to be a servant. You refer to me as your servant, as a servant to my brothers and sisters. Could it be that's what ministry is all about? Would you teach us what it means to be a servant who is out of control? Uncontrolled servanthood, unhampered, unlimited a servanthood that is so beyond my resource. Father, meet our needs this morning as we dive into Your Word. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Let Your Spirit come freely. We love You so much. And we ask these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 has been a very good study for us. It's been an interesting study and we've been uh, looking at uh, the book of John uh, in terms of uh, studying the, the word in John for quite some time. But uh, in in understanding uh, uh, John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11, you really have to get an understanding of what he's been talking about in the first chapter altogether, and we looked at that last night. For at the very beginning in your translation, I think it's in every translation, but in your translation in John chapter 2, the very first phrase of John chapter 2 points you back to the prior verses uh, in John chapter 1. And you read in John chapter 2, the very first phrase there is, on the third day. Now, that points you back. uh, All kinds of scriptures, all kinds of writers do this. For instance, Paul does this. Uh, Paul will will say something, and uh, he'll be talking about something, and come into a new chapter, like Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and he'll say, therefore, in other words, he said a a whole statement here, and because of what he said in that statement uh, here, he can say what's in the next statement. That sounds confusing. Let me give you an illustration. My mother said, Jeremiah... Since you're irresponsible and act like a kid, uh, therefore, you won't ever see the light of day for two weeks. (laughs) It was a therefore. That was off the top of my head. I was... That's uh, kind of what's going on here in John chapter 2. It's a, it's a therefore, it's, a, it's I've said all of this and I've been building to one particular point in John chapter 2 and it's on the third day. And there's what, what's been going on here in John chapter 1, there's a series of days. For instance, verse 19 is the first of the, of the days uh, in the first week of the uh, ministry of Jesus. And you see that John the Baptist has been interrogated there by the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel who have come out to ask him who he was. But you come into verse 29... And it says, the next day, John was there again. Or John was there, and he sees Jesus passing by. He witnesses to Jesus. And so there's this progression. It's the next day. Well, John does that again in verse 35. Uh, There's some uh, material given. There's some information given about Jesus. But you come in verse 35, and it says, the next day. You come down to verse 43, and it says it again, the next day. And so what you see is a building. Do you see that? You see a building taking place. And it comes all the way up to John chapter 2 where he says on the third day and it's all that he's been talking about in John chapter 1 is going to be summed up. As, this is the, the punchline of what he's saying and he pulls everything he's talked about in John chapter 1 together and he presents it at one ch- time in John chapter 2. Now in John chapter 1 you have Jesus referred to in 15 different ways. There's been 15 titles given to express who Jesus is. Uh, and, and we read those last night, and I won't go all the way through them, but some of them are Rabbi, Messiah, Lamb of God, King of Israel, Son of God, the Christ, the prophet, uh, of course, King of Israel. Th- these are all different titles given to Jesus. And, um, well, you know what titles are. Titles give insight into a person's life. For instance, uh, if I were to tell you uh, that I was a, uh, if I was a father that would mean that I have children. children. That's a title. gives you insight into my life. If I told you that I'm a husband, it tells you that I have a, a wife. wife. Uh, if I'm a carpenter, I work with wood. If I'm a pastor, you know that I'm in the ministry. Those are different titles. Those are different titles that I have. Well, these are different titles that are given to Jesus to give you insight into into his life. But you come into chapter 2, and what John does is, remember, there was a building process. He refers to Jesus in 15 different ways in John chapter 1. But he comes into John chapter 2, and he says, I wonder what these would look like if you were to see him at work in the life of Jesus all at one time. I mean, I wonder what Jeremiah would look like as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a husband, as an evangelist. I wonder what he would look like let's say, down at, the, down at the supermarket. I wonder if I saw him in one of the gas stations of his life. I wonder what he would look like. I wonder what, what this would look like in the ordinary going out to eat at Fridays. After. I wonder what he looks like. And this is what he does. And he picks a wedding. He picks a wedding, and he shows you how all these 15 titles are shown and demonstrated in Jesus at one time, and it's phenomenal. And what do you see? Well, let's go into the passage. John chapter 2. What you have is, is that... Um, Again, Jesus has shown up to this wedding. Uh, showed up to this wedding with his disciples on an invitation. Jesus and his disciples have been invited to this wedding. He just didn't drop in. He didn't crash the party. That type of thing. And that's language from my generation. <laughs> but he uh, he was invited to the wedding, which means uh, he probably knew the people. He probably knew them. We know that Cana was in what area? Galilee. Galilee. Where was Jesus raised? Nazareth, which was also in. So he probably knew these. Probably knew these guys. He probably was invited. He got one of those things in the mail uh, with his, you know, return. Are you going to come? And how many guests are you going to bring? That sort of thing. He was invited to this wedding, and he shows up, and he knew the people. He knew the kid. They were probably maybe even the same age, and they, they were getting married. He said, well, "I can't believe it! Wow, we played kickball together. You remember that one time?" And they talk about that, and they joke and laugh and all that kind. Of? They, he knew these people. And so he shows up to this wedding, and his mother comes up to him, and of course in verse 3 we find out that they ran out of wine, and of course she wants to, uh, Jesus uh, to help her take care of this, and he shies away from this, and, um, but she leaves the servants there with him, and he tells them to fill up these ceremonial washing jars full of water, and um, then after they filled them up, he t- says, take some out and take it to the master of the banquet, And he does so, the master of the banquet, tastes the water that had been turned into wine. It's now wine. But it's not just any wine. It's the best of wine. It's the best of wine. And, uh, of course, what the master of the banquet does is we find over in verse um, 10, uh, right before 10 in verse 9, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you saved the best till now. So what the, what the, what the master of the banquet does is he, drank, he tastes the wine and he goes, what is the bridegroom doing? Hello. And he goes up to the bridegroom, grabs him by the ear, pulls him aside and says, you've got it all backwards. What are you doing? You bring out the good wine first and after everyone's had too much to drink, then you bring out the cheaper wine. What are you doing, kids? What can you do with them? And he scolds him. And the bridegroom has no idea what's going on because there was a phenomenal miracle taking place and no one even knows that it was done. And you see Jesus presented in this section not as this Messiah. You've got to hear me on this. He's not as this king, not as this Messiah, not as this Son of God figure, this King of Israel who's stepping in the middle of this scene and doing this phenomenal miracle. You see Him presented as a a servant who's meeting the needs of those around him. He's a servant. No one even knows that there was a miracle done. And he's in the corner and he's, he's quiet. And, and the only people who know the miracle was done was his disciples. But folks, this doesn't surprise us because Jesus always talked about servant type of stuff, didn't he? You would find him doing miracles for people, healing young girls and healing men and all this raising. And after he would do the miracles, he would always say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, wouldn't he? Which makes no sense to me. As I told you last night, um, Jesus is not like me. Jesus didn't have an angle. He didn't, he did there wasn't nothing in it for him. What am I talking about? I, I want a mighty revival to sweep through the church of the Nazarene. But I want to be the speaker when it does. Hey, how were the services down there at Tampa First Church? Whoa, they were phenomenal. I did the preaching, by the way. Just, I mean, it was, it was all God. It was it was he moved. But I did preach some good sermons. I mean, you know. Do you follow me? There was none of that here. There was none of that here. Wow, the sanctuary it 's beautiful. Who cleaned this up? Oh, God really worked and well, I mean, I was here with the vacuum until ten o'clock last night. But I mean, hey, it was it was him, you know. It was I me. Mean, he, he's the one spoke, but I was here, and we got this tendency to to take credit. Jesus was a servant. Now, what I want to talk to you about this evening, or this morning, well, probably this evening as well, but what I want to talk to you about this morning is a little bit more about this servanthood, because, see, you can do acts of service, even good acts of service, even from the... We talked about last night that Jesus didn't just do servanthood things. He didn't come to this world and go, well, i got to be a servant, got to wash some dirty feet, oh, well, I'll do that, and then I'll get to go home. That wasn't it. It was his nature. It's who he is. In fact, do you know where Jesus is today? Standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for who? His whole life, and even in eternity, is all wrapped up in you. He's not playing golf. Where's Jesus? Probably hole nine. (laughs) Where's Jesus? Well, you know, he's probably uh, on, on his streets of gold, you know, at the pool. No, no, he's not. He's standing at the right hand of the Father. And his whole life and purpose is wrapped up in you. It's who he is. But the idea is, is, see, his even though his nature, even though his very nature of who he was was a servant, you find that there were times where there were miracles that, from our perspective that needed to be done. Um... Uh, and he didn't do anything about it. That it wasn't, it wasn't this blinded Jesus who was running around going, I want to meet your need, meet your need, meet your need, and just, just abused uh, just this guy who was, who was kind of like, uh, you know, at the end of your little rope and you pulled on him and hey, whatever you needed, you snap, and he did it. Not that kind of Jesus. It was, there was direction in his servanthood. There was direction in his service. He wasn't just this Jesus who walked in and said, okay, where's the list of things for me to do? Let me do them. That wasn't him. There was direction to it. And you see this given to you in this passage, for instance, and this is wonderful It took me a while to see this but you have two types of service at the wedding. Hear me on this now. You with me? Yes. Both come from a good heart. Both come good motives. There is no angle in either one of them. In other words, they're not doing this service for something in themselves. And yet, one is of God and one is not of God. What am I talking about? Mary and Jesus. They both show up to the wedding. They've both been invited, which means they know the young couple. Uh, They've been invited to the wedding, and weddings back at that time were community type things. And I'm going to talk to you about that just in a moment. But they've been invited to this wedding, and they both see a tremendous need. Uh, There's no more wine. There's no more wine, which is, a, which is a social disaster in their day. Not enough wine. <laughs> Never enough wine. And what you see is, is that Mary and Jesus respond differently. Mary, who has a good heart. She doesn't want to see their, their marriage start off this way. They don't, she doesn't want to see them uh, disgraced by, by the social lapse on their... She doesn't want to see that. And so what she does is she runs around trying to fix the problem. You've got to hear this tries to fix the problem she goes gets these servants and says come with me here hey grab those wine containers and all that kind of stuff and she grabs them and says come with me hey we're going to take care of this and she's got this heart she wants to fix the problem she doesn't want to see him hurt and she runs up to Jesus and Jesus acts like he doesn't even care in fact she comes up to Jesus and says come on you want to help and he says dear woman why are you involving me in this hey this isn't my deal my time has not yet come and it, it's almost like he doesn't care but he does care it's just that he's different than she is somehow in the midst of her good motives in the midst of her good attitude her right way of thinking her good heart she's serving outside the will of God let me ask you something this morning do you think it's possible to have good motives in your servanthood presenting service doing even good things and yet serve where God does not want you to serve shake your head yes we're not going on until you shake your head yes (laughs) yes you don't believe me what if uh, what if I just uh, quit preaching and started a singing ministry good heart well you probably wouldn't have me because I can't sing worth anything but is singing bad no but if I'm not called to sing is it bad is preaching bad no but if I preach and I'm not called, is preaching bad? Yes. Right. And so you have Mary, who's serving, serving out of a good heart, serving and trying to meet a need, which was a great need, somehow outside the will of God. Now the need, really quickly, the need she was trying to make, and for, in order for you to understand this, uh, was the, the lack of wine at the wedding. Um... The people in Jesus' day are not like our day at all. They were very community-centered. We are not very community-centered. Uh, we're just not. Um, they were very, very, this type of stuff, linked together. Uh, we are not. We are very individualistic at the very core. And we don't mean to be. We try to be community-centered, but we're really not. I'll uh, give you a perfect illustration of this. Ladies, you have this Banquet some Sunday afternoon, and it's really formal. You've been planning it for weeks, it's a Christmas banquet. And so, you all go out and you you spend some money, you spend a little money, probably more money than you should, and you buy this brand new dress that's just beautiful. You're really excited about it. You go and get your hair down, and your makeup, and all that, and your nails, and you show up to church on Sunday morning just excited, looking beautiful. And when you walk in the door, <laughs> you know what you see? Seven other ladies in the lobby with the same dress you have. Now, would that make you happy? You're not much talkers, are you? <laughs> would that make you happy? No! No, no they wouldn't. Why? Well, I, I wanted me to be the only one to have the... They didn't think like this. They didn't think like this. They were very, very community-centered. Their idea of community and family were central in all that they were doing. This is the idea. And it affected everything that they did. In terms of weddings, weddings were huge in terms of community, huge in terms of social events. Uh, We have weddings. I was married uh, a number of years ago, and my wife and I had a wedding that was on a Saturday. It started at 11 o'clock. No, it didn't. It started at 1 o'clock. I got there at 11. started at 1 o'clock and ended at 3. And I was out of there. It's two hours. It's two hours. And we were gone. That's not their weddings. you know their weddings were week-long deals, sometimes two weeks long? It's a truth. Imagine planning that thing. It was a two-week-long ordeal where the people got together and they celebrated. It was this huge social deal. And what they would do is, is they would have people invited to the wedding and it was, a, it was a sense of securing their future. One of the things that's very different from their society and our society is their language and their speaking. Uh, I was at a, uh, I was at a I, I'm an evangelist, so I get to stay at people's house uh, once in a while. Especially when I was first in the ministry, I didn't have a motor home, or fifth wheel, I, I stayed with people. And I never forget, I stayed with this couple one time. True story. And they're getting ready on Monday morning, and I'm up drinking coffee, reading, and uh, uh, they're getting all the kids ready. And they have a little toddler. It was a younger couple, and they were running around, and I was laughing <laughs> to myself, and because uh, he's you know a little holy terror, he good little kid, but um, he was a little older and toddler. They were sending him to preschool, and he wouldn't get ready, and mom and dad were yelling at him and all this, and out of his mouth came the words, "I hate you," and I heard mom go. Oh, get in there and get ready. So she takes him in. They finally get him ready and send him off to school. Well, later that night when they come home from work and we're getting ready for church and I hear him getting ready and apparently the little kid's been thinking about it. And he says, Mom, I'm sorry. I said I hated you earlier. And she's like, Eh, no big deal. And that was it. And I thought about that. And that little kid took no responsibility for what he said. I'm sorry. Of course, that's the tradition of our country. Our presidents will speak one thing here and deny it over here. They take no responsibility for what they say. People in politics and, and government and even people in the church oftentimes will say something and not take any responsibility for it. That is not like their day. You see, they believed that when they spoke something, it, they, they had this really weird concept. When they spoke something, that word literally went out to accomplish what they had spoken. It was a whole idea of word. When they, It was a spoken word. They believed, even Jesus talked about how the very word that he spoke would come back to condemn them on that day. It was the whole idea that when God spoke, it went out to accomplish something. We were creating it in his image. And so the idea is is that when I was carrying a conversation with one of of you in the church this morning when you were coming in and I was making fun of you and teasing you, when I was was talking with you and I spoke something, a word came out and it traveled carrying a message or carrying authority to convey what I wanted to convey and coming in contact with who you are and it conveys a message. Uh, You see this in the idea of curses and the blessings. You see, if you cursed somebody, you might as well have done it. You might as well have done it, because you said something against the king, and they believed that like if you cursed the king, it would come out, and the authority by which you spoke would go out to accomplish what you have spoken. And this went into the social realm. For instance, in the weddings, did you know they would hire people? Well, they did it in funerals too. At funerals, they would hire people called professional mourners. You ever heard that before? It's the truth. They would hire people to come and cry at your funeral. <laughs> no. Isn't that ridiculous? We think in our day, but it wasn't in their day. They would hire people to come and wail and weep. And it was, there was something about, uh, about mourning. and they would, do it in, they would do it in weddings. They would hire, I read this in a, in a commentary, they would hire well-wishers. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was historical too. They would hire well-wishers. <laughs> they would hire people to come and wish you well. Good luck! Yeah, they must have had an overwhelming budget. But they, they would hire well-wishers because they believed that when the, you wished that that word went out and somehow like that was the whole idea. You were speaking when Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Once he blessed him, he couldn't get it back. When Esau comes in crying, go, bless me. He's like, I can't. I, it's gone. I, it's, it's spoken. I, I can't get it back, man. I cannot get it back. That word is out there and it's gone a blessing. And all he had left was a curse for Esau. This is the idea here. That when at the wedding, they would speak these blessings. And you did not want to have stuff happen there where people would be speaking curses. And so have a social lapse like this, like they're out of wine. That's a big no-no. Big no-no. And so it was a huge deal. I mean, they were starting off their wedding. and It was kind of, it was kind of like a bad deal. I don't want to say karma or omen because that's not the idea, but that's the closest thing we can come to describing it. Hey, we're starting off on the wrong foot. And Mary sees this. And yet so does Jesus. And yet Mary, out of a good heart and a good motive, trying to fix a problem, Jesus says, no. What's wrong with that? What's, what's, the, two diff- what's the difference between the way Jesus served and the way Mary served? Well, it's in the passage. For instance, when Jesus looks at Mary in verse uh, 4, he does not just say, no, I'm not helping you. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? And then he says this, my time has not yet come. That's a very important phrase uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John because he uses it several times. For instance, uh, to get an understanding of what he's meaning here, we looked at this a little bit last night in chapter 7. This phrase is mentioned again. What you have in chapter 7 is uh, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, have kind of been wheedled down to just 12. And uh, he's been traveling throughout Galilee. Uh, and he's been staying away from Judea because the Jews there are trying to take his life. And uh, what happens was, is there's this Jewish feast of tabernacles. It was one of the tabernacles. It, was, it came from an old uh, uh, custom. And, uh, but nonetheless, there's this ta- feast of tabernacles there. And Jesus' brothers, now hear this. Jesus' brothers come up to him in verse 3 and they say Jesus' brothers said to him you ought to leave here and go to Judea so your disciples may see the miracles you do no one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret since you're doing these things show yourself to the world for even his own brothers do not believe in him and they're saying hey go up to the feast hey show yourself man you're doing some phenomenal miracles signs. wow it's good stuff get out there show. Hey, go to the temple do this stuff show them hey if you want to be a public figure you've got to get out there come on And how does Jesus respond? In verse 6, Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast, because for me, the right time has not yet come. And what was the right time for Jesus? Whenever God spoke, the right time was then. And so, could it be that Jesus was at the wedding? Hear me on this. He was at the wedding. He was there. He saw the need. He cared about it. It wasn't that he didn't care. He cared, but he did not act on his own knowledge. He did not act how he saw fit. He waited and said, "God, I see this need. What's your plan in this circumstance?" Uh, You see it even uh, in the next passage. Next, over the next, uh, and we looked at this last night as well, but. And over in chapter 7, verse 30, it says uh, that he had been speaking and preaching at the feast and they tried to seize him. But listen to what John writes. Verse 30 of chapter 7. At this they tried to seize Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. What is he talking about there? That Jesus' very life and his future is dependent upon the movement and acting of God. I've got a strong and this is probably not theologically correct and I should not say this, but I do not think that being in bad areas, that being in... I'm just not scared in those types of things. Because when I'm ready to go, Jesus will take me. And I live, I live moment by moment in response to Jesus. And to some extent, I care what you think. I really do. But in others, I don't really care what you think. Because I'm living in response to Jesus, serving you as God would teach me. And I don't live to please you. I don't dress to please you. Now, somehow my relationship with God, He affects the way I dress around you and He affects the way I mold to your needs and all that. But I live for Him. I was at Olivet last year and um, a tornado came. And it touched down in Kankakee. Did you guys hear that? Remember that? I was at Olivet preaching. And my fifth was going... (laughs) and my wife grabs the dogs and runs to the gym and she goes and I wasn't thinking and I I got chastised for this so don't chastise me but she goes aren't you coming and I said no because I don't think God wants me to die in a a tornado and so I didn't leave and I was fine because my idea and this this is the bad part I was afraid that the tornado would hit my fifth wheel and that's my home but I knew that I wasn't supposed to die in a tornado, so I stayed in the fifth wheel to protect the fifth wheel. <laughs> is that that's not right? Is it? that's kind of like yeah. <laughs> my wife goes, "You stay, I'm going." <laughs> but I think now that's that's not. I know I've, I've grown since then, but there's but there's something to that. I'm I'm just not. Man, he loves me, and my my destiny, my life is so much in his hands. He knows, and He's leading. He's got a plan for my life, as He does you. And Jesus never acted out of that plan. Even when He saw needs, He didn't act. He didn't act on that stuff. For instance, uh, I'll give you a couple more since you like that one so much. You see in John chapter 12, right before He begins to to wash the disciples' feet, He's talking with them. He's talking with, uh, of course, the Pharisees and 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 the Jews that are interrogating Him. And this is what He says in verse 47 of chapter 12. He says, As for the person... Who hears my words, again you're going to hear this here, who hears my words but does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. Then he says this, For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life so whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say so you see Jesus let's put this together you see Jesus at this wedding there's this phenomenal need going on I mean it's tragic mom is of course she's got to be upset Jesus' mother is very very upset she's grabbed all these servants she's wanting to fix the problem it's this terrible thing she comes up to Jesus and he says I can't I can't I can't because Jesus says, I don't act on what I think is best. I don't act on what I want. I, don't live th- I live in response to my God moment by moment by moment by moment. And he says, my time for acting in this circumstance, it has not yet come. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken. And what I found in my life, I've seen this in churches. Oh my goodness. People try to fix problems that are not your business to fix. I went to a church one time. I was a young preacher and I went to a church and uh, this just popped in my head so I'll use it. And these two young boys who had never been to church before were running up and down and dancing and jumping around and, and slam dancing. And, the, and I really wanted to stand up and, and, and kind of say, hey, listen, if you want to, David sang and danced to the Lord, and just I'm an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene, <laughs> believe it or not. And I understand, but I have also read in the Bible where David danced and sang unto the Lord. And that's biblical. In the context of praising God. But there was something that was going on here that they didn't understand. They weren't doing they were doing that out of spite. And I wanted to stand up and run up there, but it was not my spot. Wasn't my, I had no authority. I had no authority there. Just like I don't have the authority to come in and correct things in this. It's not, I don't have that authority. Do I see things that maybe... Yes, I see stuff like that all the time at churches. But I don't have that authority. And I can't just run in and fix problems because there are things that go on in churches where people try to fix things. I don't, that's not their business to fix parents. Pa- I see this in parents and their teenagers. And I'm not a parent by any means. But I see teenagers that get into all kinds of problems... And instead of the parent committing them to prayer and allowing God to teach them through the circumstances, they shell out the money. They step in and fix the problem. When maybe God didn't want them to fix the problem. Do you ever think that maybe God is not as concerned about the things that you're concerned with? That maybe, even though your outcome could end up to be the same outcome as God's plan maybe it's more important how you get there versus just the outcome I found this in the life of Jesus and I'll close with this Jesus is led out into the wilderness and he's tempted by the enemy you remember this and I I looked at the enemy and I used to look at temptation this is really challenging I I struggled with this recently when I was thinking about taking a church. Is there anything wrong with being a pastor? No. Some churches you just look at and just drool. If I can use that. You just go, I would love to minister there. But if God is not leading there, and what I see the enemy tempting Jesus with is not bad stuff. It's just stuff that was not in God's plan. For instance everything that the enemy tempts Jesus with is with is. let me just share it with you the first temptation Jesus has been out in the wilderness he's been out there for 40 days he hasn't ate or drank anything he's a tad bit hungry do you think? I think and the enemy shows up and says you hungry? (laughs) I bet you are hey look at these look at these stones over here hey turn them into bread turn them into bread and you're thinking well what's so harmless about that? Pia. It's just bread. It's not pizza. I mean, it's bread. And, I mean, he's not even overdoing it. It's just bread. Turn him into bread. What's the big deal about that? And, of course, Jesus responds with, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What's he talking about? He says, man does not live on bread alone. Bread is, hey, my way of feeding myself. Jesus did not live out of his own strength. He did not determine his own future. He was absolutely dependent on the leading of God. In other words, if Jesus was going to be fed, it was going to be through God himself. And he says, "Old devil, you know, hey man, you're not going to trick me. You're not going to trick me, old devil, because you don't understand. You see, I don't, I, I, I don't take care of myself. It's not dependent upon money. It's not dependent upon how hard I. It's dependent upon him. Man does not live on bread alone. He lives on every word that comes from the mouth. I live at the mercies of God. And what was the temptation all about? Hey man, feed yourself. Hey, meet your own needs." Because every time you try to meet your own needs, you're not going to do it. Every time you try to provide, you're not going to do it. He is the one that meets your needs. He is the one that provides. Does that click? Uh, The enemy doesn't stop there. He tempts him again. Of course, um, he takes him up on this high point of the temple. And he says, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he uses scripture. This is really interesting. He says, throw yourself down. And he, hey, I'm, because it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you and they will, lift up, uh, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And he said, throw yourself down. Hey, it's written. Here's scripture. Come on now, Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, you're not going to get me. Because what was the enemy wanting Jesus to do? Force God's hand into acting the way he wanted to. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It is also written, pal. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus says, I'm not going to force God into working the way that I want Him to work. He's not going to force God. I'm not going to manipulate Him. Folks, how many times have I prayed prayers in order to manipulate God using Scripture? How many times? God, my toe hurts. You said, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. Well, go ahead. How many times have we said, well, Pastor, go, hey, look, the people at my church, well, they just lost it. Get them. <laughs> How many... My car won't start. And we try to force manipulate God's hand into working in our plan versus His plan. Where Jesus' response is, uh-uh, I'm not testing Him. I trust Him. He's got a plan. Then He says the last one, which is really important. He says... Again, the devil took him to the very high point of a mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, all this I will give you. I mean, I'll give you all this, Jesus. You come to be king, right? Messiah, king of Israel. You come to be king. Hey, I'll give it to you. You don't have to go that long road. I mean, definitely, you don't have to go do that. Hey, I'll give it to you right now. Short road. Hey, just skip everything. You can have it. Just bow down and worship me. Just for a second. Hey, I'll leave. You can have it. Just bow down just for a moment. You can have it. Just go ahead. And Jesus says, it is, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only, away from me. And what was the enemy asking him? Or giving of him? The short road. Hey, you're going to receive the same desired outcome. Yeah, you're going to receive it. Just, just go ahead. Just take it. Just one little. And what was the, you would receive the same desired outcome. But what was the difference? One was in the plan of God and one was not in the plan of God. I don't know how this strikes your life, but I've found in my life that I've wanted to be a servant out of good motives, out of a good heart. And I've served where God has not wanted me to serve, or maybe served in a way that God would not have served, or maybe to try to bring up about something that God was going to bring about at a later point, but I wanted to bring it about in my way. What am I talking about? I'm going to embarrass myself for you. I'm married. And when I first got married, I had thought that God had put me with my wife to be her husband, to be the head of the household. And I remember after being married for a couple months, I looked at my my wife and said, "Wow, man, we've got a lot of work, God." Look at her. Praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm her gift. <laughs> I'm going to fix you up? And I begin to walk after my wife and say, you know, I've really been watching you. And this right here, you, know, you need to really get, get on this over here. And come on, come on. Hey, I'm a servant. I'm just trying to meet your needs. Hey, I'm just trying to help you. I mean, you do want to be righteous, right? You don't want to be a Christian, right? Well, you're really lacking over here. I've been watching. And I attempted to meet the needs of my wife. Was my heart right? Yes. Was I an idiot? Yes. Was I self-centered? Yes. I'm a male. It just comes with the territory. But I tried to serve my wife. And what God said is, Jeremiah, am I going to meet the needs of your wife? Yes. Am I going to grow her? Yes. Jeremiah, back off. That she wasn't... And I was trying to serve. Do you know that I realize that everything I control in my life produces death? Even things out of a good heart. I see something that really needs changed. God, I'll take care of this. Produces death. Do we have enough faith to say, God... How do you want to meet the need? Hey, maybe, maybe my eyes aren't seeing correctly. Maybe you want to... And what I found in my, my relationship with my wife, did God fix some of those things? Did he, did he take care of it? Yeah. But you know what I found in some of those? He changed me and I began to see those things in an entire different light. Because my wife had real problems. I mean, she didn't even play the piano. <laughs> How was I going to be an evangelist if she didn't play the piano? And she didn't even sing. I know, isn't that terrible? I don't know what her problem is. She didn't even like to wear dresses. I'm surprised she's saved. I'm having fun with you. But do you see that? And I tried to conform my wife to my idea of ministry. And I thought that my wife was given to me for my ministry. Her whole life was surrounded by, well, God put her with me. Well, that's not the case. What if God put me with my wife? You probably have a good heart this morning. You put up with me. And you may even have a servant mentality. You may be a servant. But are you, servant, uh, are you serving out of self? You may have no angle whatsoever. You may be even thinking that you are God's messenger sent to fix the problem you're working on. Are you? What I have found is that sometimes I'm more concerned about pain in my life, emotional, physical than He is. And that maybe He doesn't necessarily want to fix the pain but teach me something through the pain. That maybe He wants to meet the needs of my world but I don't know those needs. I have a great advantage as an evangelist that your pastor does not have it's a temptation that I'm not faced with. Your pastor, and I love Roger, but your pastor is faced with the same people week after week after week and it becomes a temptation to say, I know what they need. Hey, I see the symptoms. And it's a temptation to structure messages. Would you believe me if I told you that that's not that I don't know your needs? That even the symptoms I see may not be... See, you can fix the symptom and not necessarily fix the problem. But if you rely on the Word and stand up before your people and say, God, I'm going to get into the Word. I see the symptom. I pray. Hey, and I want, maybe I want to relieve and help and, and take care. But I trust that the real problem is something inside. And I trust by preaching your Word by faith that you're... And I'm not going to take control, man. I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that because that's what. I'm going to get into the Word and allow you to do what you want to do. It's His deal. Are you willing to do that in your own life? In your own community? In your own family? In your own church? In your own jobs? Not. But. Father, we love you this morning. I believe with all my heart that you've called me to be a servant. But I'm so bad I can't even serve right. And I have found that I have served in ways and in places where you did not want me to serve. I want to get into uncontrolled servanthood. I want to to, get into response, servanthood. I want to somehow stand in the midst of my world, not taking control of the situations, but offering myself as the platform, offering myself as the opportunity that you could use to meet the needs of others. Because I'm coming to a, a, a bold reality in my life that I don't know the needs of others in my congregations. I don't know the needs of the people. I just got to this church. How in the world can I be so boastful and so proud to say, hey, I know your need. I don't know the needs of people, Father. You know the needs. And I may see symptoms, but oftentimes, Father, we can take care of the symptom and never fix the problem, and the problem will just manifest itself in a different symptom. Would you meet the true needs in us, Father, through one another? I believe that any control, even through good motives, is not of you, Strongholds are what Paul calls them. Can we get into servanthood outside of our little box? Allowing you to do whatever you want to do. Meet the needs as you see fit. And we will give you all the praise. Father, teach us this difficult lesson. And I ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I appreciate you being here this morning. I appreciate you uh, putting up with me. I don't have a watch, so forgive me if I went over. But thank you for being here and uh, come back tonight. I believe it's God's will for you. (laughs) We're going to be looking in John. So you're dismissed. God bless your heart. Uh, Are you dismissed? Are they dismissed? No, no, don't stay where you're at. (laughs) What a powerful message. Amen. I don't know about you, but... uh starting last night, I'm being challenged to